The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. It's been quite a week uh, around here at First Conyers this last week. Many of you aren't able to see all of the results of things that happen throughout the week as... Um, well, we just continue to fulfill the vision, the mission that God has given us to win one to Jesus, to make a disciple of that one, and to send one. Part of the fruit of that was seeing Harper baptized this morning. But it wasn't just the baptism. It was that decision that she made at that young heart to trust Jesus. And I just want to say to the family, we're happy for you. We're proud with you. And just a reminder that you have the greatest impact in Harper's life and faith than any of us in this room. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to pour into her. This last week, we had 40 plus something of our our youth, our student ministry go down to Panama City Beach, Florida at Centrifuge. It was a youth camp this week. I made the mistake of driving down on Tuesday six hours and turning around and coming back Wednesday in a six-hour drive. And I figured out to pack 12 hours of driving into a 24-hour period is not for the old at heart. Amen? But I tell you, it was all worth it. I am convinced that our future as a body of Christ, a local body of Christ, is in great hands when I interact and I'm around these children that we have in our church body, our students that we have in our church body. They love Jesus, and they're more serious than most of us are about being a follower of Jesus. So put your hands together. Would you just encourage our students? Well, for the last several weeks, we have taken the last hundred years of Abraham's life, or I might put it this way, we have been for the last hundred years going through and looking at Abraham's life from Genesis chapter 12 now to Genesis chapter 25. And a hundred years of his life, really 175, 75 years of age he was when God called him from that place of earth and said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place where I'm going to show you. And he made his covenant promise with Abraham. The next hundred years, we see Abraham living his life just as you are and I am as we are living our lives to learn what it is to walk by faith in a God that we can trust. Amen? And it's kind of remarkable to me that when we get to this 25th chapter, all of that lifespan of Abraham is summed up really for us in two verses. Follow along with me in Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 and verse 8. You would think that a man as, as notable as Abraham, a father to the Jews, there would be more communicated to us by Moses and the Holy Spirit of the instance of when his life came to an end. This morning, we're going to talk about the death and the legacy of Abraham. I might put it this way, the death of a man who lived by faith and a legacy that he laid of faith or as faith for you and I to look at. Moses writes for us in verse 7, these are the days and years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. 
kind of a cliff note, if you will, of Abraham's life. When we look at Abraham's life, and all of us have to consider the reality and the fact that, number one, we will not live to be 175 years old. And somebody said amen to that when you have all the cracks and crannies in the morning when you get out of bed. But the inevitable fact, and this is a very edifying message this morning, the, edifi- the, uh, the inevitable fact is that you and I, every one of this in this room, are going to face that day, that time of death. Are you encouraged today? But it's a truth and we can't escape it and the reality is there. Marvin O'Connell writes of Pascal's thoughts. You remember Pascal, he was the famous mathematician and Christian philosopher. And at the death of his father, Pascal writes this about his father's passing. He says, we who are bereaved by the death of our father will find no solid relief unless we acknowledge that what has occurred is a result not of chance, nor of some fatal necessity of nature, nor of the interplay of the elements or parts of the human condition. It is rather an event that is indispensable, inevitable, just, holy, and useful for the well-being of the church and for the exaltation of the name and the glory of God. An intervention of providence decreed from all eternity to take place in the fullness of time in such a manner. What is left for us is to unite our will to that of God himself, to will in him, with him, and for him the thing that he has eternally willed for us and for you. That is a biblical, theologically sound perspective of death. You see, the fact is, although Abraham lived 175 years, he did not die too early. He died at the exact time, the exact place, and in the exact providential will of God when God would transfer him from this life to the life that he placed his hope and his looking forward to in glory. As Pascal writes this, I thought of two things that he had that comforted his heart at the time of his father's passing. Number one is this, that the very year, the very day, the very hour, and the very place, and the manner of his father's death was a providence-loving act decreed by holy and loving God. And that should give all of us comfort and reassurance in a topic that we don't like to think about or talk about. How many of you love talking about your coming death? Let me see a raise of your hands. But he was comforted in the fact That while it's appointed every man a day to be born, it's always appointed, it is appointed by God in his providence of his will that there will be a day that we will all die. The second thing that he took comfort in was that as he aligned his will to what God had eternally willed to his father, he was comforted. You see, Pascal had these two ideas about death. Number one, 
is that it is in the hands of God and not in the hands of man. And God is a providential holy God who enacts and leads in every way of the Christ follower's life. And there is nothing that happens in your life or my life that has not escaped the loving fingers and hands of God. That is an assurance for every one of us. Can you say amen to that? He understood that while on this side he may have struggled with his father's passing, he may have mourned the death of his father, he recognized that what he needed to do was to see that God is a a sovereign, holy God, and comfort would come when he aligned his will with what God's will was in his life. You see, he had a biblical perspective about life and about death. If you read chapter 25, you'll notice that preceding this two-sentence statement about Abraham's death, Moses is careful to include a kind of, as you will, bookends of Moses' life of the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to him in Genesis chapter 17 that he would be a father of many nations. More people than, the, than you could number in the stars in the sky or the sand a grain on the sea. And God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham who had a wife, Sarah, who was barren. But God's miraculous work and meant at 90 years of age, he opened her womb and Abraham at 100 years of age so that he might receive the son of promise that you and I also would receive the hope as given to Abraham. In the first few verses, we have the the accounting of the genealogy of the wife that he took on after Sarah passed, and he tells us that he had six sons by Keturah. We're not going to spend time looking at that. And then at the end of the chapter, he lists all the 12 sons of Ishmael, who was not the promised son of faith, but through Hagar, the concubine. And we see that Abraham's promise that had been given to him by God was fulfilled in all of this. Can I say this, that when God makes a promise, God keeps a promise, amen? He is faithful to his word. I wonder, though, as I looked at this, because Scripture is kind of silent about a lot of the details in Abraham's life, especially from the point after Sarah had died, of what took place in his golden years at the end of his life. You ever wonder why they call them golden years? Sometimes we have the idea that it's more pewter and zinc years rather than golden years, right? But I believe, as we find in the story of Abraham, that those years that approach that time, when we come to that time from passing from this life to the next life, can be golden years if we live a life in faith and trusting God to the very end. I love what Alexander Solheisten said. He was, a, he was a Russian novelist. When he talked about living life in those golden years, and some of you will appreciate this, he says, aging is in no sense a punishment from on high, but it brings its own blessings and a warmth of colors all its own. There is a warmth to be drawn from the waning of your own strength. You no longer get through a whole day's work. 
But how good it is to slip in to the brief oblivion of sleep. And what a gift to wake up once more to the clarity to your second or third morning of the day. For me, it's my own snoring that wakes me up. I don't know about you. You are still of this life, yet you are rising above the material plane. Growing old serenely is not a downhill path, but an ascent. And can I say that the perspective of death and old age or the golden years to be viewed in that sense is only to be, or only able, we're only able to view it in the sense that we are living a life as we continue to grow and to walk in faith in a holy God who is sovereign and providential over every event on this earth. He says here that, that Abraham died an old man full of years. We recognize that, that life is limited, right? Again, 75 years he lived in that, that, that pagan nation of Ur, most likely worshiping the moon gods and other gods of his father. And he heard the voice of God saying, Abraham, leave your place, your place of earth, leave all of your family and go to a place where I'm going to show you. And it was at that point that Abraham entered into what many of us have entered into in our life. At some point, we began to live a life of faith, trusting God. And it began by what Harper displayed this morning. But we don't have it all down at that very moment. Can I hear an amen to that? You see, this journey of faith or this journey of loving God, of trusting God and growing in Him and realizing and recognizing that He is a God that can be trusted is one that takes place over a lifetime. And as, as events of life come, we learn to grow in Him more. The last 100 years of Abraham's life, while God had called him and he went to that land that God had also promised him, the thing that we need to recognize is that Abraham spent the last 100 years of his life living in that land as a pilgrim and a sojourner. While God had made the promise to him of that land, can you imagine living 100 years in an area, never having a place that you could call your own home, never having a place that you'd have to spend gobs of money to repair and upkeep on, right? But being a sojourner and a pilgrim in that land for a hundred years. Peter writes to us in his letter, speaking of this fact and idea that for us as believers, those who live our life by faith, that we're to recognize that while we are in this place, in, on this earth, in this life, he says, beloved, I urge you to live as sojourners and exiles in this, recognizing that this is not the very end. This isn't the exclamation point on our life. This is not the final destination, but God calls us to live recognizing that we are exiles. We're sojourners that there's a place that he has for us that is of far more eternal significance than the life that we live in this life. You see, I love life. I really do. 
But I've come to recognize and realize that life, while it has its joy, it has its glory, it has its great things that come along with it, life, because we live in a sin-wrought, fallen world, is tough. It's an old bluegrass song. You know, I'd get it in there sooner or later. Entitled, I Am a Pilgrim, made famous by the late Doc Watson. And in it is this line. He writes and he says, I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land. And I've got a home in that yonder city. Good Lord. And it's not. Good Lordy, it's not. It's not made by hands. He concludes in the last stanza of the song where he says this. Now when I'm dead, laying in my coffin, and all my friends all gather around. They can say that he's just laying there sleeping. Good Lord, sweet peace. Lordy, sweet peace. His soul has found its home. You see, that's what the life of faith is. Living a life faithful to God. While sometimes, like Abraham relating to us, We don't always live life in faithful actions. Amen, right? But it's that growing and living in faith of recognizing that we are just a sojourner. And this life is going to come to an end as Peter quotes Isaiah when he says this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He says that's what our life is. There was an end to Abraham's life, just like there will be an end to all of our lives. The writer in Hebrews says this in chapter 9, verse 27. He says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that judgment comes. That word appointed in the Greek has the idea that it is a set time. It's not a negotiable time, and if it's extended, it's only extended by God's will. That there is a set time we were all, and he says, after that comes the judgment. Thank God that for those of us who have trusted Christ, that judgment that we will face will be what's called the Bema seat. We stand before Christ, and he gives us those rewards that will lay at his feet, rewards for things that we have done for the right motivation, and we'll all hear, well done, good and faithful service, uh, servant. But to the one who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, Jesus is very explicit when he says they'll stand before him and he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. He would put in modern terms as Jesus was saying, but Jesus, haven't, haven't I clothed the poor? Jesus, haven't I, haven't I give water? Or we might say, Jesus, didn't I attend RAs every Sunday as a little boy? Jesus, didn't I drop my Repentance in the offering plate every Sunday and give to good works. Jesus, didn't I, didn't I cook something for the potluck and, and take it for the church potluck? And Jesus will say, depart from me for I never do. And we'll say, well, Jesus, I never did this and I never did that. I never did this. I lived a good moral life, but can I tell you, morality will not get you into heaven. 
It is only by placing our trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, receiving what he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. Those things that we might do afterwards, we're going to look at later, they're an expression of our faith, but those things will not get one into heaven, into God's presence for all of eternity. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. To outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Old Testament writer writes, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Since his days are determined, same word there, and the number of his months is with you. And you have appointed, you, God, have appointed that he cannot pass. You see, all of our days are numbered. Our full complement of years have already been determined by God. None of us will ever die too soon. I had a friend friend of Jim Scarlett's of mine, we got word yesterday, 55 years of age, passed away yesterday. And I thought, boy, that's awfully young, and that seems to be too early. But I was reminded as I'm preparing this message that, that every one of us have a determined day, and none of us will die too soon. On the human side, yes, we think, boy, that was awfully young. They, they died too soon. But as this brother had a faith and a trust in Christ, I recognized and realized that it was not too soon because he is seeing what our whole life is looking forward to, where the Bible speaks of our hope, will he, be, he will be in the presence of Jesus at his feet. It's been some 12 years ago now. I can remember very clearly I was driving through the country of Zambia, Zambia on my way into Malawi, and I got a call on my cell phone. And it was Dr. Long from the seminary, my mentor, called me to tell me that a dear friend of mine in India, Harsha Vijikumar, had just that day faced that last moment of his life. Harsha and I traveled literally for months on end throughout the whole nation of India, training pastors in different areas. I spent so much time with Harsha. He's probably one of my closest friends in all of my life. And I got the call, and Harsha at that point was only 42 years of age. Now, here's the crazy thing about the story. Harsha was preaching in a little church in the northern mountains of India, and I'd been in that church with Harsha, and I'd preached there with him. And Harsha is delivering a message, and the last thing that he said is that none of us know when that day might be. That day for you and I may be this very hour. Harsha steps off the platform, and a rock comes through the roof where they have been blasting rock on top of the mountain. It struck him in the head, and instantaneously Harsha was dead. The comfort in the midst of the grief was knowing that Harsha realized and recognized a salvation, the fullness of that salvation, that he had lived his life trusting in faith that God was going to bring him there to that day, not because of the things that Harsha had done, but because of the promise that was in Jesus Christ that he is there preparing a home for us. 
Psalm 139, verse 16 says this. In your book were written every one of those days, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. You see, spiritual wisdom causes us to number our days. Paul, in his letter to Ephesians tells, tells us that, that, that we, we need to live wisely in the time and the days that we're in as a Christ follower. The psalmist said in chapter 90, verse 12, he said, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 39, verse 4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Abraham's epitaph ends with this statement. And he was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. Notice Moses doesn't say that that Abraham was gathered to to his tomb. It doesn't say that while he was buried there next to Sarah, it doesn't say he was was gathered to Sarah's bones, but he was gathered to his people. And what Moses is pointing out is that when you and I pass from this life to the next, we will be gathered with our people, those who are part of the family of God and the hope that we have of eternal life with that. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope for a future. You see, I realize I I live life in this natural here and now kind of plane. That my perspective so often is the nap that I'm going to take this afternoon. My perspective is, are the projects that I'm going to work on next week. My perspective is on these things in this life. But the thing that gives me hope, the thing that gives me encouragement is that this is not all there is to life because there is eternal and eternal life with him. You see, when he's gathered to his people, it's, it's very similar. Remember the story that Jesus recounted in Luke chapter 16 of Lazarus, the poor beggar, and the rich man? Some say it's a parable. I particularly don't believe it's a parable. I think it's an actuality, an event that's taking place that when Lazarus, the poor beggar, who had sat at the rich man's gate week in and day out begging for food, and the rich man didn't even give him one bat of an eye, passed by him. And now they're in that place called Abraham's bosom. That on one side there was a gulf, there was a cavern, cavern that separated, and, and, and the poor man, the poor beggar was in that place on the good side, we might say, and the, the rich man was on the other side, and the flames and the heat were so hot, he was begging, Father Abraham, would you please have Lazarus ga- gather a little water and just dip my tongue with the water so I can have my thirst quenched? And He replied to him and said, hey, there's a gulf, there's a chasm that separates these two places. 
And he said, but listen, if he can't do that, would you please have him go and warn my family so that they don't come to this eternal place? You see, they were taken there, and they would await the resurrection, the same hope that you and I have, that at the last trumpet, as Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, that the dead in Christ will be raised, will be raised following the firstborn of the resurrection, that is Jesus, guaranteeing us the hope of eternal life. See, the last hundred years of Abraham's life, he learned to live and to walk in faith. The next question I want to answer this morning was, what was Abraham's legacy? What did he leave behind? Because it's almost as just kind of a parenthetical thing that, that he had these generations. That God had fulfilled the promise of, of these sons and these princes that would come. And the thing is, we search through Scripture and we look through Scripture, the legacy that Abraham leaves for us is the fact that he's living the same kind of life you and I are living if we've trusted Christ, and that is that we are living a life by faith in God. We might term it this way. What kind of legacy did Abraham leave, or what kind of success do we see in Abraham's life? I don't know about you, maybe you haven't given it much thought, but, but we all have a a desire, I think, to leave a legacy. I think especially for men. We, we want to leave something that we are remembered by, something that gives an impact, something that makes a difference, especially as we draw older in our later years. I've done many, many funerals in my lifetime. Some funerals I've conducted have been glorious funerals to where I knew that the person that I was speaking of that day had in fact, although that person was absent from the body, they were present with the Lord and there was a legacy in that that they were leaving and passing on to others. And others I have done their funeral where I would go through the eulogy and, and the only thing I could find to talk about was that they clocked in at work every day on time. Now, that's a good thing, right? But it spent their whole life pursuing something else other than a life of faith, to leave a legacy of faith. When I thought about those children as they, as they ran, that's the favorite part of my Sunday morning service. Did you see the little girl with the lighted tennis shoes? I'm going to get some lighted boots. When I spent time with the students this week, I realized that this life of faith, that's the legacy that I want to leave. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? What are they going to say at your memorial? I've got mine written out, so they'll have what they're going to say for me. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to play some Leonard Skinner at my funeral, and y'all can't say anything to me about it. Joke, maybe. But I want to call us this morning to think about our legacy. 
men especially, I want to call you this morning to ask you, what does a successful life look like to you? What does a successful life look like in our minds versus what a successful life looks at in the light of Abraham's life and other saints that have gone before us? And biblically, you see, there's success, there's a legacy, but there's success that matters. I mean, coming up in a couple of weeks, we have a, a mini-conference that we're doing on Saturday morning, August 14th. And in that conference, we're going to talk about success that matters. For some of us that attend that conference, it will be an encouragement and a booster to that legacy that we've been on, that life that we've been on, that we want to live. To others that are attending, it will be a reevaluation, a returning, a rethinking. I want to encourage every man, every student from ninth grade up to register for that conference. You can do that online. Harold and Chad are going to be out in the lobby this morning. But men, I'm telling you, as the men go, so does the church. Men, are we serious about leaving a legacy to the next generation, a legacy that's of life? And I'm not, please, I, I, I'm not being critical here. I would rather invest four hours of my life in a biblical context that the Holy Spirit is working where God grows me in this aspect of living a life where success is there, but success that matters. How can I leave a legacy? I would much rather spend that than going out, shooting 18 holes, and scoring 130 on four hours on a Saturday morning. Your dad told me you're handicapped. It's not as good as what you've been telling me. What was Abraham's legacy? Sum it up in one word, what we find in the New Testament. Abraham left a life of legacy of faith. You see, that's where it begins for the Christian, right? It begins in placing our trust in Christ, believing in, having faith in what he's done for us so that he might give us eternal life and have the forgiveness of sin. And the rest of that Christian life is following after Jesus in faith and infusing others with that faith walk that we have with him. Four things in closing. That means 20 minutes later, I'll finish. Abraham's legacy. The first passage that we find is in Romans chapter 4 where Abraham is spoken of in this legacy of faith. In reference to this statement that's made in Genesis chapter 14, verse 6, Paul says in that where Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness... The example that, that Abraham lays out for us, uh, excuse me, Paul lays for out for us all here in chapter 4 finds its beginning in the life of Abraham. While the point is that salvation comes through faith, Paul makes the declaration clearly that it's all of faith. He uses Abraham in verses 1 to 3. And in the lineage of Abraham, King David in the next verses, verses 6 to 8. And then in verses 9 to 12, that all of us Gentiles who were included, and even those that are under the law, it was by faith that righteousness came. Abraham's legacy that he left 
was there, there is a faith, and that faith is in a God that we can be relied on, and that our righteous standing before God, our life in Him comes only and is exercised in faith. James in chapter 2 writes something that, that may seem contradictory at first to what Paul is writing in Romans chapter 4, but he makes reference to Abraham, and he he makes the, the statement, yes, Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous before God, but the works that he performed were a validation of the faith that he was living in God. He says this in verse 14, chapter 2, the book of James. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that man save himself? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, Abraham left a legacy of faith. But he also left a legacy that our faith will produce works as God leads us in those. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith, not of our works, so that no one can boast. Because those works that we follow in, God has foreordained those that we might walk in them. I would call us all to examine our faith. Is there demonstration or evidence in our life that there's an active faith? That when God calls, when God leads, when God speaks, when God moves, that we follow our faith with that. You see, many of us, just like the demons can say, I believe in God, James says, yeah, but they fear and tremble. You see, our works are a result of our faith. Abraham's willingness to offer up his son Isaac was a work, an outflowing, an overflowing of his faith and trust in God. The third area, Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 3. He teaches us that the ultimate offering of Abraham, or excuse me, the ultimate offspring of Abraham is Christ. 
And that if we are saved by faith in Christ, we are the true spiritual offspring of Abraham. You see, all this genealogy that's listed in Genesis chapter 25 of sons from a second wife and Ishmael's 12, that's not the end all, end all. But the offspring, it wasn't even Isaac, the promised seed, but the offspring as a result of Abraham's faith is Christ and Christ alone. You see, God had a plan. God had a purpose through the promise of Isaac and the other generations to come through Isaac would be that line that the promise. There's no value in Isaac's life. But the value that came in Isaac's life when it was wrought and brought by faith that God would expand Abraham's lineage to include every human being that would hear the invitation, whosoever will, would respond and say, I want to place my trust in the seed of Abraham. Verses 8 and 9. Paul writes in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verses 26 and 29, For in Christ Jesus you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What a legacy! But it began way back there, that initial act of faith. There's a starting point for some this morning. That starting point might be that you need to place your trust in what Christ has done for you, to receive Him as your Savior and begin that walk of faith. But can I tell you that you've not breathed your last until you've breathed your last. Lastly, we see in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, five quick things. Demonstrated in Abraham's life of faith, that faith has obedience. We see the sojourning and trusting of God in verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 11. We see faith's hope in verse 10. We see faith's confidence in verses 17 and 18. And we see faith's reasoning in verse 19. In final closing, you and I are writing our legacy this very day. The question is, 
what do I want my legacy to be? I got a text response from Miss Wanda Cook this morning. Most of you know Miss Wanda, one of the sweetest people I know. Miss Wanda fell on Saturday, Friday, broke her leg and <clears throat> had to be transported to Grady Hospital where she had surgery yesterday on her leg, and I'd sent her a text yesterday just telling her that we were praying for her. She responded to me just this morning. I love this. And she says, I appreciate you and Sandy praying for me. I have a pain block in my leg, and I pray that it will help with pain. I'm trusting God through it all. And this is the kicker. Many people here are open to talk about Jesus. A lady from Covington will be attending our church soon. Her name is Charlene. Love you too. <laughs> Man, I'm in the hospital having surgery on my leg. I'm like, give me more morphine. I know one of the things I'm going to share at Miss Wanda's time when she passes. You see, her life has been filled with a life of faith. I'd be crying, woe is me. God, why did this happen to me? Lord, it should have happened to Glenn. I live a better life than Glenn does. <laughs> and all she's worried about is sharing Jesus with people. I watched Miss Wanda on Sunday morning. She told me a few weeks ago, she said, you know, I don't know a lot of these songs, but I don't have to know the words to the songs because I can listen to the words of the song and I can say, yes, Lord, amen. That's a life of faith. That's looking to see what things are of greater eternal value than what my momentary desires that are self-centered might be. What's your legacy going to be? Is it a life of faith? concerned that when we get to those pearly gates, we've got a train of folks behind us because we've been able to infuse them and have an influence in their life of a life of faith. And if God, by his grace and his mercy, we allow some of them to get saved or watch that, that's the legacy I want to live for. I don't know about you, but when I breathe my last, I pray to God that that's the life that I'll be known for. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.